Good morning. It's nice to be here with you this morning. Um, I want to tell you a story that I am a character in but do not remember. Uh, this happened when I was around five years old or so. I have heard the story, I don't know how many times, from my father and my mother, but have no recollection of this whatsoever. So I'm just going on their truthfulness. Um, when I was about five or so, my dad came home from work and was met at the door by my mother, who said, you must do something about your son. Uh, my dad panicked, came into the house to figure out what was going on, and was told that I had been sent to my room. My dad began to walk upstairs to my room, and as he did, he noticed that all along the stairwell, uh, up to a height of about waist high on me today, were outlines of a hand in red crayon the whole way up. Uh, uh, dozens of them, apparently. I have no idea how many, but, but m many. Uh, obviously, my dad figured out what had happened, got to me in my room, uh, and began to talk with me about that and, and said, hey, I, I saw the handprints on the wall. Where did those come from? To which I apparently responded what every child would respond, I don't know. I don't know, they just magically appeared, Dad. Uh, and so he said, did you do this? And I, of course, responded, no. No, of course not, I would never do that. And he said, well, who do you think did it? I, I don't know, Dad. Well, well, let's find out, let's go take a look at them. And so Dad took me to the stairwell and to the handprints, and he put his hand over one of them, and he says, does this look like, like, like my hand? No. And he went and he got my younger brother. And he put my younger brother's hand up to one of the prints. He goes, is this, is this David's hand? No. And he went and got my baby sister, who was still an infant at this point, and he, he held her hand up to it. Is this Sarah's hand? No. Somehow or another, he coaxed my mother into the same room with me and had her put her hand up there and said, is this mommy's hand? No. Do you want to put your hand up there? No. <laughs> but he convinced me, and of course they were, and I had to admit what I had done. And then my father helped me clean uh, what I had, had done wrong. Uh, we have a hard time sometimes taking responsibility for things that we've done wrong, don't we? Uh, I don't know who did it. It wasn't me. It just happened. You have a hard time saying I was wrong. It's my fault. I did that. We've been talking about sin for the last several weeks because we are in Lent and it is a good time for us to remember who we are. It's a good time for us to remember that we are human. It's a good time for us to remember that we have brokenness in our lives. It's a good time for us to remember that, that we wrestle with sin. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of James, uh, which has been very honest with us about sin. It's been very honest with us that, that sin is not so much a failure to keep a list of rules, but that it's a breaking of relationship between people or between a person and God. 
we've taken a look at some sins that we wrestle with that are maybe not the ones that you would automatically think of on the big lists of bad things that Paul sometimes puts in his letters. James talks to us about sins that are maybe more insidious, more commonplace, more mundane, things that escape our notice, things like favoritism or the way that we speak to one another or division that we have with each other. And we've talked about those sins. And those aren't the only sins that James deals with. There are several others in the book. Uh, the beginning of chapter 5, for example, talks about the sin of oppression by wealth. There's a warning for wealthy people to be careful not to oppress others. And I read that and I go, yes, wealthy people. Yeah, get, get them, James. And then I remember, like, I'm part of the 1% globally speaking, like we all are. Day in and day out, even without our our recognition, we often become oppressors by, by buying into the, the system of economics that we live, uh, live in and, and the consumeristic mindset that we allow to overtake us. There are other sins that the book of James deals with, but, but as we come to the end of James today into chapter 5, I want to focus on the end of chapter 5 because James calls us to do something at the end of chapter 5 uh, that is very, very specific to help us wrestle with our sin, to help us wrestle with this brokenness between each other and the brokenness that we have between ourselves and God. He concludes with what is perhaps the scariest, hardest, and most ignored command of the entire Bible. And I have to admit, as I come before you today, that I am coming with some anxiety for very personal reasons. This passage of Scripture is very hard for me to preach. Um, I've, I've preached it a half dozen times at least, and this is the passage of Scripture that I get absolutely zero response to when I preach it. Maybe I'm preaching it poorly, I have no idea, or maybe it's just hard. I'm going to go with it's just hard. But this is a hard passage of Scripture, and there's a hard command here for us, and it's, it's worth our time to look at it. James concludes with this very difficult command. It's in uh, chapter 5, verse 16 of James. That verse begins with these words. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. That's a hard word for us, I think. That as I wrestle with my sin. So I wrestle with the brokenness that sin has created in my life and in the world around me as, as I deal with that. One of the ways in which I'm called to deal with that is to confess. And not just to confess like out into the nebulous nothingness of the universe, but to confess my sin to you. We're to confess to each other. And to pray for one another. And that's hard. That's difficult. Before we get into that, though, um, our, our, our verse begins with uh, an all-important word, therefore, which means that James has been building something. He's been building up to this. So let's, let's skip backwards just a couple of verses. And let's start at verse 13 where James starts this passage and, and we'll ramp up to confession. This is how the passage begins. This is James chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. James writes, Are any among you suffering? 
they should pray. Are any cheerful, they should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick, they should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. James is presenting to us, as this passage starts, very common set of wisdom. Things that people would already accept as true. Things that are natural and normal behaviors. What do you do when you're hurt? What do you do when you're suffering? You tell somebody, right? You don't want to bear that alone. You, you want somebody to help you shoulder that load. When I am, when I am hurting, I, I, will, I, will, I will tell my wife about that. I will tell a friend about that. I will call my father or my brother. I will tell them about that. That I am going through this. Can you walk through this with me? What happens when you're, when you're glad, when you're cheerful, when you're joyful? You tell somebody about it, don't you? You don't, you don't walk around keeping your happy just to yourself. We want other people to, to rejoice with us. Man, this great thing happened. I, I, it slips into conversations that have nothing to do with that. Be talking to somebody, it's like, oh yeah, and let me tell you about the thing that happened to me today. It's so great. When, when we're happy, when things are going good, we want to share that. What happens when we're sick? And, and the word sick here in, 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 um, in James uh, can mean like a physical illness. It can also mean something like weakness or, or, or downtroddenness, despair maybe. Uh, what happens when we are low like that? What happens when we are sick, whether in our body or in our heart or in our soul? We share that. I'm terrible to be around when I'm sick. I, I, I don't understand why everybody else is feeling good when I'm sick. When I'm sick, I want you to be sick too. I, it's not fair, but it's the way. I want the people in my TV screen to be sick. I, I, when I'm sick, I want everybody to know. If, I, if I'm not feeling well, guys, you will know it. When we're down, we can't help but, but share that. Like that's normal and natural when, when we're going through these things, when we're suffering, when we're joyful, when we're, when we're down, when we despair. What do we do? We share that with people around us in some way, shape, or form, whether, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It, it, it comes out from us that this is who we are and this is how we're feeling and this is what we're dealing with. And so James begins with this. He's building this. Hey, what do you do when? You share it. What do you do when? You share it. What do you do when? You share it. And it gets better, doesn't it? Well, therefore. Therefore, what do you do when you have sin? You share it. You share it. What do I do when I have sin? Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another. What do you do? You confess it. You should not hide it. It actually hurts us to hide our own sin. A theologian, professor, and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a fantastic small book um, for the church in Germany, the Confessing Church, that, that met in opposition to, to the Nazi regime during World War II. Um, Bonhoeffer was ultimately killed for his resistance um, 
uh, to Nazism, but before he did, he left the church with some amazing words. And in the end of this book, he talks about confession together as a church and what happens when we refuse to confess. I just want to share this with you really quick. Bonhoeffer writes this uh, regarding confessing our faults. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered amongst the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin. Guys, I am a real sinner. I have real sin. I do not intend to say that vaguely. Christians can do that. Oh yes, I wrestle with sin. Guys, this week I've been wrestling with anger toward God over the slow progress of my wife's recovery from COVID. I have wrestled with hatred toward God over that. Guys, this week I have wrestled with despair. I have wrestled with greed. I have wrestled with selfishness. I have been mad at pretty much you name it. I confess that to you. I confess that to the church staff on Tuesday when we sat in our staff meeting. You know what? I, I said that and, and tears started to come and the three other people in the circle accepted what I was saying and prayed for me. And since then, you know what? It's been better. It's been better. Because we're designed to confess and hear each other do so and pray over each other as we wrestle with sin. We're to confess and we're to pray. James says not just to confess to one another, but to pray for one another. Just as suffering eases when we share it and joy spreads when we share it, just as we're strengthened when we share, sin can also be dealt with as we share. Sharing invites God and his spirit into the situation, especially through prayer. This is what James says after his call to confession. James has, has said, confess and pray, and then he picks up with this. This is the middle of verse 16 and 17 and 18. James continues on, he says, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. How powerful and effective? He gives a, a, a very nice illustration. Elijah was a human being just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain upon the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its, yielded its harvest. James seems to be saying to us, listen, if prayer can accomplish these miraculous 
things in the world, imagine what it can do in you. Imagine what prayer could do with your sin if prayer can do these things. We connect with God's power as we pray. Look what prayer can do when we confess and pray together. So James calls us to confess, but the question is now, how do I confess? How do I confess? And and if somebody comes to me with their confession, how do I respond to that? Uh, We printed some of these, um, and they're around on chairs. Not every chair has them, but but many do. Um, And here's just, this is not meant to be exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but here's some advice. Most of this comes from Bonhoeffer. Some of it comes from James. I'm telling you, this little book, Life Together, is great if you've never read it. Most of this comes from Bonhoeffer. Some of it comes from James. Here's, Here's some things to keep in mind as we confess. That confession should deal with concrete sins. Well, it's not necessary to go into every little detail. Confession should be specific. It's not enough to say, I'm a sinner, because we all know that we all are. We need to say, I I am wrestling with, and name it. It needs to be named. We need to remember that confession should be made to another Christian who is humble and trustworthy. Uh, Bonhoeffer gives a great piece of advice. He, He says, it's not the experience of life, but the experience of the cross that makes a person worthy to hear confession. So who do you know that lives under the cross of Christ? Who do you know that that lives in humility following Jesus? That's a person that maybe can hear your confession. And what else should we remember? That a confession should lead us toward accountability. When I confess, I, I am inviting my brother or sister to hold me accountable as I heal from that sin. So what should be done then as I hear somebody's confession, as somebody comes to me, whether a brother and sister, a spouse, a family member, a friend, a parent, a child, what should I remember as people come to confess? Well, we should remember that we are to help bear the sin of brothers and sisters and identify with them as sinners ourselves. When somebody comes to us and confesses sin, Please don't be shocked about that. You have sin in your life. Remember that. Identify with them. You are not alone. I am here with you. I have been in the pit too. We're to remind each other of the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. So many times uh, we sin and we go, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me. Guys, he already has. He already has. We need to be reminded of that. We need to remind each other that that Christ has forgiven us. And then we're to pray. We're to pray in faith for the healing of sisters and brothers. That's what James tells us. Pray, for the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Ultimately, why should we do this? Well, James ends his letter to us not with a customary end greeting, but with some of the most powerful words, I think, in his entire book. He says this at the end of his letter. This is James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. 
Why do we confess? Because, confess, uh, because our sin has caused us to wander. Right? Sin is brokenness. Sin is a broken relationship between ourselves and God. Sin, sin pushes us away from each other and from our Creator. Why do we confess? Because it draws us back closer. It draws us back closer. Confession and prayer and forgiveness cover over a multitude of sins. Confession allows us to be reunited with each other and with Christ and to walk in Jesus' way. Uh, Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, says this, and it's marvelous. In confession, the Christian gives up all and follows. Confession is discipleship. I'm not sure we can call ourselves disciples of Christ if we're not willing to confess the things that are keeping us from him. I'm not sure we can call ourselves disciples of Christ if we aren't willing to deal with the things that are keeping us from one another. Confession is discipleship. So what do we need to confess? More specifically, what do you need to confess? Let's take that out of the, the general we and make it about each one of us. What is it, is it that I need to confess? What is it that you need to confess? What have you been keeping to yourself that is only hurting you? What are you keeping that's making you distant from God and from the fellowship? Confess it. And receive prayer and be reminded of forgiveness. We want to invite you into something um, strange and difficult and horribly frightening. Um, we want to invite you into a few moments of practicing the thing that James has talked to us about. James has said, if, if you're suffering, pray. If you're glad, sing. If you're, if you're weak, if you're sick, ask for prayer. And if you're wrestling with sin, confess. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Listen, I want to invite you into this, and I have got to tell you, this is part of the reason that I hate preaching this passage. This has never worked for me, not once. I don't know what today will be, so I just invite you into this time. There's no, no judgment, no shame, no guilt intended in this next few minutes. Just an invitation. If you would like to pray, receive prayer, uh, the prayer commission is going to be ready. They're going to be through that door over there in Rose uh, Street Cafe. And they would love to pray with you. If you want to, to receive prayer or confess, Meg and I are going to be here up toward the front. Please feel free to talk to us. If you want to receive prayer or confess or just share your joy, listen, there are people sitting next to you that would love to do that with you. It is okay to turn to your friend, your neighbor, your spouse, your brother, your sister, and say, can we just pray for a minute? Can I tell you about something good that God is doing? May I confess something to you? There's nothing magical about making confession to, to Meg or to myself. We can make confession to anybody, but if you're more comfortable, we'll be around. There's nothing special or magical about praying with the prayer commission members. We can pray and share with each other, but if you'd like to pray with them, they're there. And so we're just going to take a few minutes, whether you want to do this right in your seat where you're at, 
by yourself or whether you want to share with each other. We want to invite you into this time. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Share it. Are you weak? Ask for prayer. Are you wrestling with sin? Confess. Let's take a few moments and put that into practice.
table that is set before us in the middle of the room. Uh, the last page of Bonhoeffer's book, um, the last chapter is all about confession, and on the last page he takes a really unexpected turn for me. I, I turned the page and all of a sudden I was reading about communion. Because wouldn't you know it, confession precedes us coming to the table. We need that. We need confession before we come, whether it's to God or to each other. Confession is good in and of itself, Bonhoeffer says, but it serves Christian community especially as preparation for the common reception of Holy Communion, which is why every Sunday we come to the table and we confess together. These aren't, these aren't just words that we think that we have to do. It's our attempt as a body to say that, that there are things that aren't the way they should be. To acknowledge that. And to acknowledge that in some regards there's nothing we can do about that, that it has to be God that, that makes it right. And we remind ourselves that he is making it right as we come to the table. So we want to do that now. I uh, invite you to take some time and come to the table. We're going to confess together and then come and receive the elements. And once everybody has done that, we'll take them together uh, as a community. So if you're able and willing, would you please stand with me? Uh, and we will confess together as we come to the table. Most, Most merciful God, God whose Son, Jesus Christ, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, we confess before you our own sinfulness. We have hungered after that which does not satisfy. We have compromised with evil. We have doubted your power to protect us. Forgive our lack of faith. Have mercy on our weakness. Restore us in such trust and love that we may walk in your ways and delight in doing your will. Amen. Please come and receive the communion.